Neighborhood Church. To find out more about who we are, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. So, uh, Nikki and I have added something into our uh, our new um, system, our new rhythm. Uh, when we're with our friends or our family, we're really good at like sitting, like we kill it at the sitting and eating. We are we have perfected that for the last twenty years, uh, and we thought Nikki and I both love being active, uh, and so we're like, why don't we like do stuff with our friends? And we have started doing um, night hikes. I, anyone else big night hike people? Right? Yeah. See, I love night hikes. It's like it's a totally different experience. Like Nikki loves owls. If you want to see Nikki lose her mind, is there's like an owl that like whoo? And Nikki's like, shut the world down. We're staying here, building a monument. Um, and so night hikes, you can do that, right? Uh, uh, Barbara Brown Taylor wrote a book. Um, Nikki, what's the name of it again? It's like the Beauty of the Darkness or Maybe that's why I'm all felt inspired to go walk in the dark. It is a great, great read of how the darkness just can um, reveal different things around you and in you. And we've done it a couple times. We went to New Trail out in Renshaw um, by Jay Cook uh, State Park on the Superior Hiking Trail. And I've done it once in the day with my buddy Wade. But this time we went with her friends Nick and Anna. And Nick pretends that he knows what he's talking about. He has no idea what's going on. But I keep believing him because he's like, I'm Nick, I'm fun. So um, we go on this trail, and I'm wearing literally these, these, uh, these boots, jeans, and because it's warm out, it's fine. And we get to the end of the trail, and it was about a mile, right, not long, and we had a great talk. Um, and then Nick's like, you know what? It's shorter if we go this way because it leads to, like, the state forest and all those, like, um, back state roads that – you know, I don't think there's any rules out there. And so there's, like, washer machines just laying there. It's just, like, people are like, what do I do with this? Oh, I know a place. Um, and uh, the problem is, is that there is, they don't plow those roads. And so we got, like, two, over two feet of snow. And Nick's like, well, let's just go up here. And it's uphill, but he says it's shorter, and we believe him. And we start walking. And you're walking not like this, like normal, healthy people, you're walking like you're some sort of monster, right? Because you're walking in two feet of snow. And Nick goes, well, should we turn around? And for whatever reason, we all said no, because it's shorter. Listeners, it was not shorter at all. It was significantly longer. And we were exhausted. We were exhausted. And like halfway through, we, were, uh, we stopped to rest. And... Um, Nikki or Anna said, like, why didn't we bring water? And we're like, oh, because we're not responsible human beings. <laughs> I don't know how we are entrusted with, with kids, but um, we, got, we got done, and that water has never tasted better, right? There's, there's something about um, uh, getting in touch with what you really want and how darkness and hikes and thirst can demand <laughs> that you reorientate your life of what it is that you want. 
And this is what Lent is. Lent is modeled after uh, Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days, and Jesus is stumbling around, right, of getting clear of what is, what is this Christ, and what is this mission, what is his values, and what, how it, does it look like, and how do I orientate it, and there's all these temptations, and it's beautiful. It's also modeled after the, the Israelites going through the wilderness, and they too are understanding and reorientating what is sacred, what does it mean to belong, what does it mean to be human. And Lent is our time to reevaluate what is it that we really want. Something like food, like we talked about last week, right? Food and snakes. Uh, and, and exposing things we're most afraid about. And today we're talking about thirst. We're talking about water. Because it is surprising when you don't plan for water, <laughs> and all of a sudden you realize that you want it, you get really in touch with that need, and you can't escape it. And I think there's something beautiful about being aware of what is it that we really, really need. And so we're going to tell two stories, uh, uh, one from the Hebrew Bible and one from the Gospels. Uh, in Numbers, or not Numbers, Exodus 17, uh, Moses, right? Now, when you say Moses, people believed uh, that God told Moses, Moses told uh, Israelites. And so when it says Moses, and people are telling stories, I want to say, hey, yeah, God led us to this place, and Moses was the go-in-between. Um, and it, uh, they led him to this place called um, the, the, the place of sin, right? Not what you think about. You hear that word sin, you're like, boo, bad, right? This is the, a different, different meaning. But they're in this place, and Moses is there. He's feeling pretty good about himself, slapping himself in the back. And um, all of a sudden, um, they walk in, and they're like, hey, Moses, sorry to interrupt you, but, um, yeah, like, we don't know anything really about metaphysics, not really caught up on what electricity is, right? Uh, the Pavlov's dog thing, anyway, we, we don't know that, but we do know, like, water. We need water. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, there is a lack of water. I don't even know. Our livestock are dying, and people are dying. So, Moses, would you mind talking to God and finding maybe some water for us? And Moses' reaction is wonderful. I forgot about this. Moses, like, rolls his eyes, and he complains about the needs of the people, right? Now, if you have ever been in management, if you've ever been on a board, if you have ever tried watching, like, more than, like, three toddlers, right, <laughs> or, or teenagers, or if you've had anything where people, like, want to have agency with their voice and they have to come to you more than once, you, it's, it's, even though it's a legit, they have a legitimate concern, we need water, and Moses is like, oh, don't you see that I'm busy, don't you see that I do all these things for you? He, he, he complains, which this is what I love about the Bible, is that they leave these messy parts in. Why, they, they, if, why didn't they write? Like Moses said, yes, I'm a great leader. I shall serve you. He's like, oh, leave me alone, right? I have needs too. You don't even know me, right? So, um, so Moses then goes to God and complains again about these people. He, Moses complains to the people, complains to God, and what God does, right? He says, Moses, you're going to take the staff that you've carried around everywhere you've been, and there's this um, place I want you to go to, and there's this rock. And I want you to take the elders of your people, right? So you're going to be doing it publicly. Hit this rock, pff, water uh, will come out. Moses does all this, hits the rock, water comes out, and there's new life, right? And actually, I forgot um, the, what they, the, the, the name that Moses calls it. Calls it? No. What he calls it is um, the place where people grumbled. <laughs> Whatever the Hebrew word literally says, even though this, this miracle happened, he's still stuck on you people complain, and I'm going to label it that. So that's the first story. Second story is in John 4. Jesus sends his disciples off, 
and Jesus is thirsty. And most of the time, where Jesus was trying to get to, um, people would go around this place because it just didn't save time, but it saved with, with all these like cultural and um, Levitical laws. If you did some things, then you were like, um, you couldn't participate in the fullness of what you wanted to do. So it was almost easier to take a longer route, like my buddy Nick Hansen. Um, but Jesus is thirsty. And so Jesus walks into Samaria because there's this well. And at this well, he sees this woman, and she's by herself. And John says that it's like um, at high noon. Now, in the book of John, um, anytime there's a date, there's time, or like a season, or they say like it's morning or it's night, um, pay attention. Because John uses uh, the, the time of day to give a bigger picture, like something's in the air, and he's trying to let you know there's more going on. So the fact that it's at high noon, it's not just the, high, the hottest part of the day, it's also where everything's being revealed. It's harder to get out of the sun when it's right above you. There's less shade. So there's like this, this very big, um, not explosion, this very, uh, of where all things can be really seen, right? And he walks up to this woman, and he's thirsty. But because Jesus doesn't have a bucket or a pail or whatever you're going to use, uh, the woman does. And so here, Jesus is asking this woman for water. And they get, the, they get in this conversation, and uh, Jesus says, well, if you're really thirsty and you drink of the water that I have, you'll never thirst again, which brought in this whole long conversation, well, not long, but this whole beautiful conversation about the Christ and being the Messiah and what does life really look like and what is it that you want? And then Jesus, she makes this comment and says, well, yeah, I know that you don't just have one husband. In fact, you've had several husbands. So... All of a sudden, she's exposed. That was the word I was thinking of. She's exposed. There's high noon. There's all this sun. There is all these, which we'll get to a little bit. There's all these cultural and religious um, uh, boundaries that are being crossed. There's all this intersection. And Jesus is still saying there, are you thirsty? Right? And then says, and I know you've had actually multiple, multiple husbands. There's multiple ways of even thinking about this. Uh, this is a patriarchal society that's telling the story. And a patriarchal society, imagine this, maybe still might be happening now. And the way that it's been, one way of imagining this is, oh, she must be a prostitute, right? She must be a prostitute. And she is willingly give her body to all these people. And for whatever reasons, to survive, to, to be for, for protection. But in a womanist or um, feminist uh, interpretation, a feminist obviously is through a female lens. Womanist is through a black female lens. Um, that I've read recently that was fascinating is um, instead of looking at it as here's a woman who willingly sold herself or gave herself to these other men, is that she could be a victim, that she had no other choice, that other people said this is what we do to people like you. And it kind of changes the, the, the tone of what Jesus is speaking to. Of when it's and it's funny because even when the, the interpretation that was handed down to me is often met with shame of like why would she do that right we blame the victim right we shame the victim and here instead of Jesus saying well you did some bad things and I'll still include you instead it's Jesus sees her for who she is that there is a human inside of that pain that there is a human uh, and needs that she has that maybe resulted from like no fault of her own. That she's been a part of the system of what it means to be human, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be pushed aside. And then the women are, the reason she's there is because, uh, you, of course, you're going to go in the morning or afternoon when it's not as hot. But for whatever reason, she doesn't belong to that group of women. 
because of what has been done to her. So you feel that, like the, the pain of being shunned from whatever community that is, and then the, the very men who, for whatever, I mean, not say for whatever reason, the men who have done these things to her, right? She doesn't belong in that group either. So she's there by herself, and Jesus sees her and says, like, you belong. And she begins to talk about these temples, and the way that they engaged in their um, temple practice was slightly different than um, the Israelites, Right? And there's all this, um, it's actually a beautiful, if you want to go down a rabbit hole, go into like the differences and why, it's, it's wonderful. Um, but then Jesus says, yeah, there's going to be a day that like this, big fan of this, big fan of this, there's a day that's coming like, and he points to himself, that there's going to be life and all people are going to worship. They're all going to belong to, and Jesus is talking about the Christ. And something in that conversation, th- this woman sees herself differently, she clearly sees the Christ differently. And she, like, runs. She moves, and she, she runs into this community, the very community, right, that she already realizes, I don't belong. Suddenly, it's all changed. She runs in, and she goes around telling people, you, you have to come and see. This guy saw, uh, what's the exact word? He, 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 he knows everything about me. He saw me for who I am. She, now, she's declaring. At one point, she's saying, I don't want to be associated. Now, she's owning it, right? And it's not a threat. And we're going to talk about like, that idea of come and see. And in, in some um, early church, historians believe uh, that this is how the, ch- the church exploded, right, G- going beyond just like the, the Roman sphere is through this woman, that this woman is one of the very first evangelists. She's one of the very first preachers of the gospel, even before the resurrection, which is interesting. Of the very woman that they said, you don't belong, Jesus says, hey, now go tell the story, Right? There's a whole message in there somewhere. So um, what are we to do with all this then, right? How can we find some meaning in this thirst of story of people complaining and Moses complaining and hitting rocks and this woman? First one is this. We would not be doing the scriptures justice if we first didn't see that people have real needs. Be aware of your needs. I say this often. We love helping other people in their needs, right? We love it. We love swooping in and saying, let me help you. Here's a casserole, right? Um, we love to, but we, like, hate having a need. How many times do you apologize just for calling someone? I'm so sorry that you answered your phone. <laughs> right? I'm so sorry I'm inconveniencing you doing, watching Netflix or whatever it is I do, right? And, like, I am the, one of the worst at this. I'll come home at 4 o'clock. Usually. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll come home at 4 o'clock, and I'll walk in the door, and I'll go, oh, I'm so tired. And Nikki will go, oh, imagine that. You say the same thing every single day at 4 o'clock. What? And Nikki will say, this is the problem of living with it. Nikki is a coach, and she'll all of a sudden move into coaching. She's like, well, what do you want to do about that? But there's also like a little edge of like uh, love and kindness attached to that as well. So <laughs> sometimes. And it's true. Like if we, like, like going on that night hike, right, I was aware my body was telling me we need water. But something before the hike said, I don't need water. <laughs> I'm, I'm superhuman. I don't need that. Like we need, it, it, there's some wisdom in listening to our bodies, right? Of why are you having these nightmares over and over again? It might be, why are you feeling anxiety in this place? Why do you feel 
this, this pain in your, like your body, uh, what's the, the book? The body keeps the score, right? And if we can listen to our bodies, right? This is why in other um, spiritual rhythms of where um, things like yoga can be incredibly helpful, right? Because they believe that the way you treat your body and your spirit or your soul is deeply connected. My friend Eric Bong was just telling me about was having some um, anxiety. He's like, yeah, you store up anxiety in this parts of your body, uh, and he's like, and you do these stretches, and imagine this. I did zero of them. So, um, but there's th- there's this this art of listening, and here's the big thing: believing your body, because you have needs, and those needs are not evil. And at least if you're like me, now I'm processing, which is dangerous. Um, but then there's like, well, I don't deserve that rest. I don't deserve that pleasure. I don't deserve that. I have to what? Work harder. And it, something in my head still says, work till you're dead is better, right, than like maybe enjoying life than dead. <laughs> and I feel like that's just what makes me good or makes me strong. And I will like turn off sensors to my body. And that's not, and I, it's not what I want to do. That's just my default. So first, pay attention to your body. Um, the second one is, ah, this is so good. Everything that this woman and Moses needed, they already had. They have this thirst, they have these needs, and it wasn't outside of themselves, right? Moses did not have to go climb to a different mountain and learn from a guru. Moses didn't have to go and uh, do some paintings. He didn't have to go and get certified. He didn't have to take a keto diet, right? Everything that Moses needed was right there. That staff is just, it was not some you know, crafted from Elmwood trees, Lord of the Rings. And I know it was just, it was just the staff. That staff is what uh, they used to separate the waters. It became a snake, right? It, it did these amazing things. It traveled with them. And what God said is you just need what you already have, right? You have to trust and believe in this God that this God is good. But what's the vehicle? What's the tool? Something you already had with him. And for whatever reason, I love that. This woman, everything that she needed, Jesus just revealed it's always been there. This, this, this life, this, this water is not, oh, now you have to go over to this country. You have to go in and go back to your temple and recant all the things in that temple. He's, he's saying, yeah, yeah, like everything you need is already within. And that is, it's, it's so um, life-giving to me because like what I just shared, there is times where I feel like, no, it has to be in someone else for me to get. It has to be through this speaker or this book or this theologian or this um, space, right? And then if I can access that, then I can receive that love or that inclusion or that forgiveness. That, that love has always been here. And I think it's important, right? Like uh, to my partner, I love her more than anything else in this world. I love my kids. And it's easy than saying, well, I can only feel love when, right? But I've learned that, the, that what God is inviting me into, that the greatest source of love right, outside of God, is myself, right? That the, the love for my, myself brings out a new color in all the love in all my other relationships. Instead of waiting for Nikki to activate that love and realizing, no, that the divine is in me. And I can celebrate that, and I can experience that love. I had a friend recently who was going through a hard time, and um, they said, I know God's with me, but I wish I could feel it. Right? Anyone been there before? Right? And I'm like, hey, welcome to an elite level of all people who have worshipped any faith, right? I wish I could feel it. And, it's, and the reason is because when things are going really well, right, 
and we can, um, like, uh, hashtag God on that experience, it's really easy, right? It's like sunrise, and you're actually awake, and you're happy, and you see the sun, you're like, holy buckets, I'm feeling good. Oh, the divine is there, right? Or you see an owl, right, and lose your mind, right? Yes, praise the Lord, right? And then you can say, oh, I feel this mystic experience. That must be God. Well, those moments, like, I don't, like, walk through my whole work week, like, sunshine, happy days, right? Like, there's times where I don't want to do my job, right? Does that mean then God is not with me? Does that mean I don't have access to that love? Well, for me, one thing that helps me realize if everything I, that God has given me is already, if God is already within and I'm stressed or I'm, uh, or I'm anxious, it's being able to pause and feel my body, right? Of realizing my heart is racing. Realize that my, my shoulders are shrugged and my jaw is tight. And if I can find my breath and I can feel it like fill all me up, and then loosen my shoulders, relax my jaw, it's like I can all of a sudden realize, oh, God is in that breath. And God wants something more from me than going to like a, like some bitter old man walking through life yelling at kids to get off my lawn, right? Like there's, there's something more, and I don't need to wait for Nikki to activate that. I don't need to wait for an owl to activate that. Like God is, does that make sense? It's everything we need is right here. And the last one. Uh, combined is this this come and see that what this woman experienced what why God invited all the elders to come and, and participate this is that it's it, it's something to not just be heard about it's not just something to be talked about it's not just something to, to believe about the Christ is something to be immersed in it is something to be deeply experienced and John uses this term multiple times right of people hearing about about the Christ and they're like, tell me more about the Christ. They're like, no, let's do less talking. Let's go experience, right? It's like, yeah. And the, the, that invitation to come and play, right, that invitation to come and see, at least for me, has been some of the most beautiful experiences uh, in my life of being able to say, hey, come with me to go see this owl. Come with me to go and um, experience this art. Come with me to experience this meal, and I believe the divine is in all of that. But here's where we pause. This, what's happening at this well is this woman feels like this is the only time where she can belong or where she can meet her needs. Her need for thirst, clearly I can only, people like me only get to go to the, these kind of places at these times of days. And Jesus shows up. There's a whole movement, or not movement, there's a whole idea that people believe um, that the miracles, I know I'm going way off track, right? But signs and wonders, miracles, healings, um, only happened in the generation that Jesus came in the early church. And after that, it died off. So we can't do healings. It's one way of interpreting scripture. And then there's people who believe and say, no, like me, I believe in the supernatural power of God still exists today. Um, but then people will then say, well, Jesus crossed all these cultural and religious boundaries, right? Of Jesus in his parables, we were doing a whole series of parables that we'll pick back up, of where Jesus kind of throws like a grenade into conventional thinking, right? When people said, well, we've thought this or believed this for hundreds of years, and Jesus is like, yeah, you heard it this way, but here's a whole new way of understanding. And Jesus does that again, of Jesus being a rabbi, Jesus being, well, rabbi, being a man, um, and, and the woman being, not just a woman, but being Samaritan. There's all these intersectionalities of why 
And she even says, like, people like you don't talk with people like me, right? She states that of saying, I'm going to save you some trouble. And Jesus says, uh, yeah, like, um, that's great. I'm just not playing. I'm not telling that story anymore. I'm telling a new story. And it got me thinking. If Jesus did that then, why would we think that the Christ wouldn't do that now? Right? Why do we think, well, it just stops. Jesus just did that then, and then the church got all of its stuff together, and we're just going to hold on to that. Which, <laughs> right? Which is, yeah, there's a lot of feelings associated with that. And it got me thinking of, like, there is still at times, especially in my life, where I felt like I don't go to those kind of wells. Right? I don't show up to those places. I don't ask those kind of questions. I don't, I, I don't um, even want to associate in that circle. Why? Because I'm afraid of being rejected. I'm afraid of being found out. And if you get like, even bigger, what places have we drawn boundaries or lines and saying, no, no, this, this belongs. Anything outside of this, <laughs> watch out. God doesn't live there. If there's anything learned about Lent, if there's anything learned about the wilderness, there's anything I've learned about the wildness of this Christ is like, what if we just showed up to those wells? What if we like took a risk? So maybe there's a story that everyone else is telling about me. Maybe there's a story I tell about myself. And I don't expect ever to see that the Christ might be at that well, asking me for something to drink. Because what I feel like I'm going to hear is what Christ is going to see me and saying, I know exactly who you are. What I'm afraid other people are going to see and say, I know exactly who you are. We've heard this story. We know who you are, right? It's going to be met with shame. Instead, what does Jesus do? He tells her, I see, I know, I can see the fullness of who you are, and there's still something to drink. And if we can move in that place of love, if we can move in a place of where we can even complain about our needs like the Israelites, right? We can even say, we, ha- we don't have to apologize for our needs, and we can still have access to the life giving water, then that need is never a threat. Like what you need as a human, as a friend, as a partner, as a son, as a daughter, as a non-binary friend, right? Is wherever you find yourself, that need is not a threat, and you can drink, and you can drink something beautiful. Let's pray. So God, I thank you that we get to belong And that the messiness and the neediness of um, ourselves is not a threat to this good and beautiful life. So I pray for my friends who are here, who are listening or watching, and where we have been trying to, like, deny that we have any needs at all. (laughs) Where we have convinced ourselves, no, I am stronger, I am smarter I pray you'd help us be able to realize that our need is not a threat. And that we'll begin to turn towards you, turn towards ourselves, turn towards a professional, whatever we might, to go find that help, and we'll begin to receive. And I pray for those of us who feel like we we don't belong at that well. I pray you give us the wisdom, the moxie, and the confidence especially the wisdom, to know, is this, is this a place for me? Can I find this water? Can I find life? So we love you, God. I pray you do good and beautiful things in us and through us this week. Amen. Amen.